You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. This episode of Self-Made Strategies is brought to you by CollegeCast. At CollegeCast, we empower student voices by helping college students to develop their own 10-episode podcast series. Visit collegecastpodcast.com or follow at collegecastpods on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date with all of our shows. Welcome to episode 145 of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. On this episode, we sat down with Mike Vertoli, CEO at Comtech. Mike joined Comtech in 1989 as a member of the technical engineering team. Five years later, in 1994, he purchased a controlling interest in the company. He assumed overall control of operations and helped the company to develop from a two-person consulting firm into one of Inc. Magazine's fastest-growing privately-owned technology firms in the United States. On this episode, Mike is going to share with you his secrets for success for any organization. We're going to talk about how process creates progress, how you can build a winning team, and how you can let the metrics help you to make the right decisions. We'll talk about best practices for creating processes, tips and tools for recruiting, onboarding, and mentoring to take people from good to great, and unemotional decision-making that you can tie to those metrics to help you to guide your strategies. Here are the self-made strategies of Mike Vertoli. How's it going? Thanks for uh, thanks for making the time. Nice to meet you as well. And awesome backstory, by the way. Joined Comtech in 1989 as a member of the technical engineering team, and then five years later, you purchase a controlling interest in the company. So we have to start there, right? How did that go down? How do you go from being a technical, a member of the technical engineering team. So presumably you start as an, as an engineer and then five years later, you purchase a controlling interest. Sure. So, yeah, so it had a lot to do with family in high school. I graduated 92. So I was, uh, I was probably a sophomore working for the telecommunications company. We had a farm, we were doing mobile phone installations. That's really how the communications and technology. So uh, my stepfather was a former employee of Bell Atlantic at the time. Uh, I did a lot of the installation. So I, I grew up with a mechanical background, very technical on the farm. Uh, he got cancer in high school when he, he passed away, probably right after I graduated. And I decided not to go to college. My mom, my mom lost her tenure. So she took care of him. And, you know, we said, look, we could probably make a career of this. She didn't have a job anyway. And I'm like, I will, uh, you know, I knew technically what to do. I surely wasn't an entrepreneur at the time, didn't have the money or, or business background. Uh, I started doing the installations and it kind of evolved. The company went from just doing mobile phones to more business phone systems. And at that time, you're talking about the advent of internet and Microsoft. Those are two like pretty life-changing um, changes in technology that were going on in the early, very early 90s and um, bought out his his side with his uh, some of his kids. And then uh, I bought out my mom and, um, you know, here we are 35 uh, years later, whatever it is. Wow. Well, incredible, incredible, but an amazing, an amazing transitional story. I mean, to overcome that type of emotional difficulty, adversity, and to refocus yourself. So how has process creating progress helped you in overcoming that adversity that you faced in those difficult times that you were undergoing? Yeah. So I always felt 
And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you, we want to be successful and we spin our wheels and we're going and there's all these failures along the way. And then years later, there's the part they just don't teach you. And, and for me, what I focus heavily on in my life is how process, you know, identifying things and setting up routines creates the progress so that life's not about that, that finish line. It's always about, for me, it's about those mile markers that I hit in between. I ultimately, if I hit the mile markers, I establish the finish line's ultimately there. And I think myself and a lot of people were too focused on the finish line and we fall off a cliff somewhere in between. So yeah, my life is very much about all these best practices, you know, in, in terms of running a business and running my life of a process. So what, what are those getting really practical about that? And thanks for, for sharing that perspective, because I, I agree with you that helps you to really stay focused, to avoid the noise, to avoid what people call imposter syndrome to a degree, gets you focused more so on the execution of your goals and your objectives and really bringing it more to the present moment, right? Quite frankly, you're focused on that process, on the process, the, the journey, if you will, rather than some abstract goal off in the, in the horizon, on the, in the distance. So what are those best practices that you've, impl- you've used in, to implement these processes in your business, and how did you develop them? So the easy part is how did I develop them? And that was to look back at all my failures. So the anxieties, um, you know, so why didn't I accomplish goals? And when I started really dissecting them and I, I really said, how do they create my process was really around what are the things that intercept process or progress? Um, and it was really, as I identified each one, I started thinking, wow, how important routine is. So, you know, as an owner, uh, distraction factors. So you have employees, emergencies, meetings, calls, emails, and, you know, these things can run your life. So part of it was, let's like, really, let's, let's own up to what are the things that really um, can intercept the things that I really want to do. So first I had to say, well, number one, I don't want to be working on the company or working for the company. I want to be working on the company. So that was like the first thing I had to really have a life change that if I don't have the time to work on the company, I'm probably doing something wrong. So all the things that prevented me. So I'm like, wow, I'm doing things for the company daily. And I was looking at, if I, if I can't work on things that are six months down the road or one year down the road, I'm probably doing something wrong. So let's talk about that. So I, I kind of have a lot of self-awareness conversations. And one of them was, you know, pre-established meetings. So one of it is like put people in the right positions, make sure I hire those positions that are better at what they're doing than I ever was and get out of their way. You know, don't micromanage. So if I have questions or clarity or problems or challenges and things like that, I would, I learned that from all my direct reports, I would create a lists of what I would tackle and I'd have predefined meetings with a predefined schedule. And that's when I would tackle them. If something came up during a week, unless it was an emergency, we would tackle them during that session. And if I had five of those sessions, you know, a month, or maybe if I want to do it biweekly, it freed up 90% of my time. So it wasn't, and I, and I wasn't interfering with their progress. So that type, that was, that was something I found life-changing for me, Um, changing that those type of things from a Michael to do to a follow-up, I I changed them from being on my calendar to being on a separate sheet. So my calendar and my tasks and my to-dos weren't intercepted with notes and anxieties and things that I need to follow up with others on because then it created a cluttered calendar. So my calendar became very hyper-focused on business objectives and what I, I have a separate what I call my to-do is my, my staff to-do is was a separate item. And I know I have one or the other, 
um, that was super helpful for me that I could actually separate. And then, you know, we say stress, you know, I talked to my staff that stress is normally just one's inability to understand what the challenges are in front of them. Once you understand with them, they're just a challenge. So, you know, that process is usually helping people understand where's, where's your challenges coming from? Where's your stress coming from? What were your goals? What's stopping you? Um, so that was one, you know, minimizing disruptions. We talk about, you know, um, how, how email is email is a very destructive pattern, you know, like, um, we, you know, we, we effectuated certain things here in the company that like, if it's an internal, we open up service tickets. So the company doesn't work off of, Hey, can you do this for me? We open up individual department tickets. So we change business processes internally to allow for people to know what's going on electronically, but not require individual follow-up that we can let the, the technology, you know, help, um, organize the company. So these were things we were just identifying what keeps me and my company and my staff from being really effective. Um, keeping things duplicatable, you know, once we found things that worked, we go, what worked, why did it work? And how do we duplicate it? What didn't work? Why didn't it work? And how do we eliminate it? Right. Those are constant mindsets that we teach. Um, and, and I'd say the last thing for me is owning up, you know, at having those self-awareness reviews at the end of a week, you know, and saying, you know, I know what my business, my major business challenges that I work on it enough. Was I efficient and what didn't work, you know? And I think a lot of people don't do their own self business coaching. A lot of entrepreneurs, you know, you're just, you're going through life. Um, but I think saying set aside a half hour, if I could recommend send a half hour and do your own personal review and own up to it. What worked, what didn't make a personal change. That that's yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I think it's really brilliant, actually. That one one of the things that you pointed out there that really stood out to me was those meetings. And you're right, because the the sort of behind the scenes thing that happens is to your point, people aren't popping in to interrupt you on your day to day because they know they have that meeting coming up on a weekly basis or whatever it is. And they'll just say, Oh, I'm only going to bring this to Michael at that meeting. And then we can talk about unless it's a, the barn is literally burning down and it's on fire and we need somebody to respond to it. Right. Yeah. And yeah, we found without that outlet, the only outlet people know is to pick up the phone or send right. an email. And what right. they don't do is allow people to process in a normal environment. They don't allow for feedback and, and it creates anxieties. And there's too much ways of communicating anymore to allow everybody in the organization to cross, uh, communicate with everybody else and expect that they're heard and valued and they understand the follow-up. So organizing those types of things at a high level, I think gives a, you know, gives the staff a lot more focus and people can really see what they actually accomplished by doing it in a meeting. You have documentation of what was discussed. Um, you can set next steps. It's easy. You know, it, it creates a, a little, a, a, a better process, easier for Yeah. And creates a feedback loop, like you said, and then there's some sense of accountability built in. It's all good stuff that really just helps to make the entire team, the entire organism more efficient. Now, going back to your process for self-awareness, really interested about this because this is something that I myself and of course other other people, those of you who are listening probably struggle with this all the time. We all do, right? So how do you do that in an effective way where you're not letting yourself, you're not beating yourself up overly, right? But you're also not letting yourself get off the hook when you you need to be self-aware and, and sort of self-reviewing. What's your actual process for that? I'd say start with, you can't make it too far out, right? So weekly, and I don't do it 
professionally, I do it globally. So mm. I, I give an example, like, um, love my wife, right? There's sometimes I go, wow, you know, the way you handled that, you know, was over, even though I think she might've been wrong, you know, I go, but I elevated it. I didn't address the sin or I didn't, you know, get taken the consideration, you know, something. And I always look for, I get it. You could be right, but is it the right thing to do? And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly self-assessing anything that elevated, how could I have handled it differently? What are some best practices? What are things I didn't understand? And by the end of the week, I can tell you, there's a lot I don't understand. It's technically, it's financial, it's emotional, it's, it's people, it's process, it's hiring. So as I identify these things, like I get up in the morning pretty early, you know, and I sit in bed and that's my time. And I use my first hour of the morning is social, it's LinkedIn and it's learning. So they're my three things. So I might catch up on things that are done personally. I'm looking at things that are happening in the industry professionally. And then I have like YouTube and podcasts and things that I catch up on. And it's always something different. And it has to do with that self-awareness of what are things I just didn't understand. And, you know, things change all the time, especially in technology. I don't want to be at the forefront myself and be, but as the owner, you should have a very good understanding. Mm -hmm. um, financial is, was one of my weaknesses. I'm like, so there's always something you know, that I'm learning and, you know, taking away from people who, who there's podcasts and there's, there's people educating you everywhere, but it's owning up to what you thought was a challenge. Awesome. Yeah. That's a really great process. And, and thank you for sharing that. So now let's go back to what you were talking about, about hiring and that process for you. Cause part of it is you're, you're very focused on putting the right people on the right seats on the bus, right? Getting them into the right position where they're going to be the most effective so that you have a winning team. So what's your, what are your tips and tools that you use for recruiting? And I know you talked also about some of the tech tools that you use for internal communication as well. So what are the, those things that you use for recruiting, for onboarding and for mentoring people? So I'd start with, before we do any of that, like what is really the perfect candidate look like? So we kind of break people into or positions in the categories first and foremost i think we everybody should have that company culture lined up so you can hire the greatest engineer the perfect sales rep the perfect anything and if it's a mismatch culturally and they have that interaction it won't work so you really as a company need to understand your core values the culture what's the expectation and that needs to be in a position description and it's fine that some people don't align but to me, that's just as important as a technical skill that doesn't align. So I kind of look at it as before you hire somebody, know what you want for that position. So for us, it might be, let's say, the core values, the, the core competencies, the position description, um, and um, let's say, you know, your ability to comply with, you know, understanding business. And then you're reflecting, you know, maybe on the company. So there's certain things we want to make sure they understand the company, their competencies, their roles. And if, if all that's very well laid out in an employment agreement or understanding upfront, that upfront contract, it's really not that hard to have a review. What we found over the history is you almost hire for the skills and you fire for the person. It's constant. Oh, that person knows this, or they're a CPA, or this person's Cisco certified. or this. And then ultimately... You're going, she was crazy or he was this. And um, and it doesn't have to be like that. So part of it is, one, I wouldn't recommend doing a review on anything that you didn't up front set the expectations for. So I think people right. start from the beginning wrong. So 
if the agreement is is set up right and the reviews are completely aligned with that agreement, then it's much easier to make decisions. So I, I start with that, but then we start with onboarding takes time. So we, for us, we do what we call a 30, 60, 90, and we do it with mentorship. So what happens is it's very hard. If a manager is hiring somebody, he's got, a, he or she's got a lot to work on, but there's always other people in the department. So empowering them, um, encouraging them, bonusing them, making them feel inclusive into onboarding somebody that's successful or getting that initial feedback is critical. So mm-hmm. that, that first 120 days of, of you can do a lot or a little. So a lot of times people don't get the type of onboarding they need of understanding the culture, the value, the business, their competencies that they could have gotten help with. So for us, I'd rather go way overboard during that first 90 to 100 day experience that there's nothing else we could have done. Like we're going to coach, we're going to mentor, we're going to give you all the times, the tools, the money, the resources, and, the, and most importantly, the feedback. If we see that people can adapt to that type of feedback, then we probably could make somebody or help them be them successful if there's areas that they weren't. A lot of times we can learn from them. And the final onboarding process for us is a 360. And that's where we take a person who might have interaction between multiple departments. Let's say it was somebody who's working in client success. They might be working with help desk. They might be working with sales. They might be working with project team. But to get the feedback of how that person uh, how that person is um, – complies with their job description is super important to the manager who might not see every action they're doing. And then when you have a very successful 360, we onboard. And we find that when you get through that initial process, which is only a couple reviews and a 360, the right people can adapt and will mold in. And you can look, you know that that initial investment you did up front pays huge dividends in the back. And what's for most, most important, if it's not going to work for either party, you can make that decision very quickly. I think too often people like, I'm like, why'd you get rid of somebody in eight months or a year or a year and a half? Like for us, it's very quick or it's very long. Right. And I think it has to do with being sure of, of what it is you're hiring and the manner in which you're going to measure it. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think a lot of salient points there, especially in your process about investing heavily in making sure that it's the right relationship, right? Which is something that a lot of times when people are hiring or onboarding or looking for talent, they're not paying attention to that. They're just, they're almost saying and hearing what they want to say and hear and not really, like you said, being really transparent right at the beginning to make sure that this is going to be a good fit. And then putting them through a very regimented process that carries them through those first 120 days, as you said, for example, to make sure that this individual is going to be a good part of the organization, the team, right? From years of having it not work, right? So these weren't, (laughs) you know, you kind of, that's that self-reflecting of, wow, how did we hire this person, not have them successful? And sometimes we we take the fault and and I look at it like I could have done a lot better as a leader. You know, what, 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 what would you have done different to have a capable, ideal person not be successful here? And that's happened. So, you know, we try and fall, fail forward, which is one of our models, like, you know, that we're going to acknowledge it, but we're going to make something from it. We'll learn something from it and change. Right. Awesome. Now, how about 
using metrics to help you to make these unemotional decisions, which tie into everything, really ties into your processes, ties into everything that you do as an organization, to your recruiting, to your onboarding, and to the way that you do business in general. So how do you, what metrics are you focused on, first of all, and then how do you actually effectively use them to help guide your strategies? Hey everyone, Tony Lopes here, host of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. Thanks again for listening to this episode. And as always, you should subscribe to our show wherever you enjoy your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Moving forward, Self-Made Strategies is going to take a more focused approach at bringing you the best guests and conversations to help you on your own self-made path. We look forward to improving the content that you get from our show and to bringing you the best guests possible. Please subscribe to our show wherever you enjoy podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Yep. And I, and I actually, I can't stress this enough to my counterparts, especially in today's COVID world. You know, we're training, we do a lot of uh, remote uh, support for clients and we're helping people with collaboration and the tools that allow them to let their, their staff run with less supervision. But that's the tool, right? The, the empowerment side comes from business leaders and that's usually metric. So what, what I try and tell my staff is like, you're a business partner. I know they're employees, but really what we are is I need them as much as they need me. And I think if you start thinking like that as an owner and teaching them at the highest level, I have bills to pay, right? I, I answer to a bank, right? And I answer to the clients and I answer to my staff ultimately. And we, we got to go, what are the key, key metrics that'll help us be really successful at a high level? And then I, I probably wouldn't hire a single person here unless there was metrics associated with it. And I challenge people, they're, they're like, well, I don't know what a metric is associated with, you know, give me the example. There's something or you wouldn't have hired them. People don't just say, I really want to fill a body. <laughs> right, right, right. Teach them what aspect of the organization they can most impact. Give them the goals, give them the tools, let them report on it and find that success. Ultimately, if you have a hundred people, those hundred metrics will funnel up to them or they should funnel up to the most core things that you're focused on. So I do that every day. I'm looking at my top metrics. What are the things that can impact? Let's say I have 10 metrics that affect my organization and underneath of those 10, there's 30 things. Underneath of those 30 things, there's 30 more that will funnel to the entire organization down to the most junior person who might be doing general collections or data input or something, but they can be empowered by here's, here's how you move up in the organizations. Here's how we know that you're being successful. Here's how we measure you. Here's how we, we determine your value. You know, here's how we make money, encouraging people, educating them. They don't all have to be CEOs, but ultimately if they're good at their job, they can understand how those metrics or they should, it's part of their competencies here, understand how their metrics affect the organization. And Back to your original question. So what do I do? I let the metrics make the decisions. I, you know, whatever job it is, if you have a group of four people and three of them can exceed metrics and one of them can't, you you probably have the decisions in front of you. And that's whether it's sales or marketing or help desk. I mean, the number of tickets somebody can get done or the amount of calls people make in any organization, the amount of pallets they can put together. Ultimately, if you create effective metrics, the emotional side of decision-making is taken away. It's just a matter of, can you own up to it? And I think for business owners being taught to learn what the metrics mean, trust them and make the decisions on them is a lot. You'll make decisions quicker. You make them more efficient. 
you'll duplicate good decisions, you'll kill the bad ones quicker. Um, I think, you know, those are elements I focus on here. Yeah, awesome. And there's a, a sense of transparency in that too, like you said, right? Because people are really just getting very, you're being transparent also with every employee within the organization where they know what the metrics are as well. That No one should be blindsided, right? If you know these are our expectations of you, you didn't hit those expectations for whatever reason. And I'm, I'm sure that there's a, a process in there as well that's helpful to people to be able to step up to those metrics, but it's pretty clear and there's just no, nothing to hide there, right? Yeah. And I think what actually happens is it's the other side of that equation is once people know what the metrics are, then there's, how do I get rewarded for exceeding them? Right. So I always say right. as business owners, really, do you really care what, how many hours people are working? I don't, I really don't, you know, I'm like, you know, if, 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 one person can get done twice as much as the next person in half the time. That's great. But what if that really successful person put in the same amount of time, then they're twice as effective. So what if you actually let metrics do the measurement of compensation as well? Now you have business partners. Now you have people who are motivated the same thing that you are. You're teaching them that they can have a big impact. So I think that creating compensation models sorry, models that align with exceeding metrics that you're comfortable with, ultimately you're just going to run a better organization. So rather than saying, Hey, I'm bonusing everybody because it's Christmas. That's great. You might not have made money, right? But saying right. we're bonusing people quarterly because we hit our corporate objectives, you know, collectively as a team, it creates camaraderie, it creates, you know, there's a team unison. You're going to talk, people are going to know what part they played. So I'm, you know, we're hyper focused on that and celebrating the things that worked. We're transparent in the things that don't, you know, you own up the things that don't work and then you'll find that people are very collectively willing to jump in and fix things when they're not. Um, I think there's a, people can underestimate the power of employees by calling them like employees, like treating them like a tool. Like, I think that's been, it's generations removed the mentality. I think anymore, especially with the freedom and flexibility and the, 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 the lack of workforce that's out there, um, you can now start getting really qualified people and empower them and build exceptional organizations just from a different mindset. Yeah, right. Exactly. Makes total, total sense. Awesome. So people can check out, if you're listening to this episode, you can check out comtechsystems.net to hear more about Comtech Systems. And we'll also post a link to that in the show notes. Michael, if people want to follow you, check out what you're doing or get in contact with you, what's the best way to reach you? Email mvertoli, V-E-R-T-O-L-L-I at comtechsystems.net. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, you can follow us on Facebook. Cool. Awesome. All right, Michael, thanks very much. Really appreciate you being on the show and great, great advice for our audience. Thanks again. Thanks, Tony. Take care.